Would you welcome Andrew Taylor? <laughs> As you're receiving the rest of the offering, I just wanted to say that uh, it's been a sweet week for me. Um, I've just been crying every day. I just God is just doing all the work in my heart. I just came back from had the opportunity to be up at a men's retreat this weekend, and I was just gushing the whole time. Um, and I'm still here. I'm just so in tune with what the Lord has for me. And I can tell you the truth, church, is that, you know, when we talk about words of prophecy, we typically, uh, we can build it up to be such a big thing and it can be so dramatic and powerful. But what uh, Pastor Dan just shared at the beginning of worship tonight, tonight, this morning, was a word of prophecy. It was from the Lord. It's, it's actually what I'm preaching on this morning. So I just want to say, church, that I'm just going to forego introductions. It doesn't matter who I am. I'm a guy, I love Jesus, I love the church, and I respect the word, and Pastor Ted thinks highly enough to invite me here. So with that, we're just going to go in. I understand that we're in a sermon series in John. We finished with John 17, like 20. Uh, and for those of you who haven't been part of it lately, uh, this is just the portion of the life of Jesus where he's basically praying over his disciples. He's getting ready to leave them, and so he's just basically... his his. His Mr. Holland's opus, if you will, of just leaving this with this, these last words are what he left with his people, his 12 intimate guys, his little band of brothers. This is what he left with them. He was praying over them. He was blessing them. And then he comes into these verses right here. Now, bear with me because there's a lot of you's and me's and there's going around. So I'm just going to kind of use gestures to help us just track with this. And this is Jesus praying. Oh, Lord, I ask not only on behalf of these. In fact, you know what? Go ahead and get out your Bibles if you want. You'll be with me. John, John 17, 20. I was uh, a youth pastor for a bunch of years in my old tradition. It was uh, we had confirmation for the youth, and this one time, uh, the first time I did it, I asked the senior pastor, "Do I need to know anything to get ready for confirmation?" She's like, "Oh, you're a seminarian, you got it." So we get there, and the very first thing she has me do is teach the kids the books of the Bible. <laughs> I really would have liked a heads up on that one. <laughs> I was like, Genesis, Exodus. You know, let's practice those words in Hebrew. <laughs> so I uh, wanted to give you enough time to look in your index for those of you who are pointing along. I ask, this is Jesus, I ask not on behalf of these, these 12 disciples, but on behalf of those who will believe on them, and believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, and me are one. So as you and me, Father, are one. I pray that all of us together will be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they, corporate church, us now, disciples then, also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Ugh, that's a mighty big task. So the world will believe that Jesus, that God sent Jesus by the evidence of Jesus in us. That's weighty gets weightier. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me. So God, this is Jesus speaking. God, the glory that you have given me, I have already given them so that they may be one as we are one. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. Wow. 
we have been given glory. And I was going to go on, I was going to preach further about it. I was just going to wrestle with the whole uh, finish of 17, but I couldn't get past this verse. I just kept reading this verse over and over. God, you've given me glory? I was taught from a very young age that all glory and honor is to go to God. All praise and adoration is to go to him who made me. But yet, you are saying, Jesus, that you have given me glory. In fact, the glory that you have given me is what will transform the world. Maybe the disciples, yes. And maybe I'm just having some messed up, remedied, dummied down version of that. In fact, I was told from a very young age that people will know Christ by the way I live my life. So, by the way that I don't gossip, by the way that I ask for forgiveness, by the way that I... uh, Don't smoke, don't chew, and don't hang with girls who do. The world will know who God is. That, by the way, that I submit to my leaders and say, yes, yes, ma'am, no, no, please. Yes, ma'am, no, please. In my family, we said, yes, ma'am, no, please. My dad had a weird culture set up. I don't know. But by the way, I respect my parents, the way that I behave, the way that I comport myself, the way that I present myself to others, that's how Christ will be known. And I think, Jesus, do you really know me? Because I can do a very good job of projecting a healthy Christian attitude to others. But Jesus, you know me. You you know the life that I live. You know the times when sometimes I just look in the mirror and say, Lord, I know that I'm a new creation. I know that I'm your workmanship. But why do I see this? Why do I see these wrinkles and these hurts and these fears and these failures? But yet I have your glory? Mm Mm-mm. I mean, maybe I do, and one day when I'm with you in heaven, I will. But right now, no, there must be a wrong translation. Am I alone? Jesus was projecting this. When he prayed this over his disciples, when it was just this little group of ragamuffins, this little band of brothers, he said, the glory that you have given me, Father, I have given them. And these disciples were not the martyrs on the cross. It was not yet the Peter who wrote canon. It was not yet the founders of our faith, it was a group of 12 guys who were still jockeying over who's going to be seated closest to God. In this group of men who have already had the glory, these men that already had the glory, some were going to betray, a lot were going to deny, all of them were going to run, hide in caves. But yet they had a glory. A glory is regal. A glory is esteemed. Okay, the Greek word, it just says to be speaking, spoken of with high praise. The songs that we sang, and this is where I say the anointing came in, every word of every song we sang today was about high praise and honor and esteem to our God. But yet, that's supposed to be in me? God, it just can't be so. You know what? It can't be so. And you know what? And sometimes the Christian trick that we play, and believers, I love Christ, I love the church, I love us, but the Christian trick that we play on the world is, well, I know it's not so, but I'm going to project this to the world so that they can see that clearly that's how they're to be attracted to Christ. You see, they didn't see that I just snapped at my wife. They didn't see that late night internet sin. They didn't see that abortion. They didn't see the premarital sex, no matter how hard we tried, even though I wore a purity ring. They didn't see, they didn't see, they didn't see. But yet, I'm going to not swear, and that's going to project glory? Baloney. The glory of the Lord is a possession that we have that cannot be lost with the baptism of our belief in Him. Period. Really? You're going to lead someone to Christ because you didn't say potty words? Is that how meaningless our faith is? That because I'm nice, people are going to be Christians? I'm a crier. I'm a crier anyways. This week's been an extra crier. Hey, Dan, will you toss me those Kleenex? 
Thank you. I see. It looks like there's a lot of criers in this church. There's like Kleenex in every row. So if you'll bear with me, we're going to indulge in judges. We're going to look at a man named Gideon. And once again, it's seven books into the book of the Bible. Near the beginning. It, oh, come on, I'm not the only one that sometimes when the pastor's like saying, people, uh, pastor, they open up your books to um, Jeremiah. I'm not the only one going, oh, please, please be turning in the right direction so I can end up on it because I don't want my neighbor to see, oh, the wrong direction. Come on, really? Really? Come on, make me feel human. Yes. Okay. Oh, the tablet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, who's this guy named Gideon? And I could just kind of delve in. I could tell you a quick little synopsis, but genuinely, I believe the first part of chapter 6 can explain it quicker, more succinctly than I can. So uh, Gideon was a Jew, or he was an Israelite. He was a Jew. Um, he was raised in the ways of the Lord, but they'd all departed. And here we go. The Midianite oppression. The Israelites... Gideon and his peeps did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. The hand of Midian prevailed over Israel, and because of Midian, the Israelites provided for themselves hiding places in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Terror, hiding out. The chosen people of God, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, that had the holy of holies, the tabernacles, the same lineage of people who were doing tremendous things. Terror filled their heart, and they were hiding. Why? The very first, uh, and because some people are still turning, the very first verse, the Israelites did what was evil on the sight of the Lord. Scroll back down to where we were. Verse 4. They would encamp, uh, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the land as far as the neighborhood of Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For there the livestock would come up and they would bring their tents as thick as locusts. Neither they nor their camels could be counted. So they wasted the land as they came in. Thus Israel was greatly impoverished because of Midian and the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. We're going to scroll on down to uh, verse 11. This is where Gideon comes into play. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak of... I don't know how Oprah made her way into the Bible, but clearly she did. Ophrath, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, his, and his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Quickly, the way that wheat was threshed back in the days, you go up to the highest, most windiest place, you lay out all your wheat on the ground, you'd beat it with a stick, you'd pitch it up with a fork, the wind would separate the wheat from the shaft, the shaft would fly away, the wheat would fall down because the kernels were heavy, and that's how they'd get their meal, and that's how they'd prepare their food. That was the easiest, most simple way for them to do it. And here we have Gideon, because afraid of the Malachites, afraid of the Midnights, and a wine press. Wine presses were underground. They had roofs covering them. He was hiding out, threshing wheat all by himself, sifting it up, no wind to carry away the shaft, a lot of hard work. It was hot. It was sweaty. He's mad at the Lord because these promises that they, they had had, the Midianites, the Malachites are oppressing him. I can imagine just the frustration that was coming along, beating wheat. And then verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Really? The Lord is with me, mighty warrior? I'm hiding out in caves. My people are distraught. The Midianites are oppressing us. The Malachites are tormenting us. Here I am threshing wheat in a wine press. You're calling me a mighty warrior? Ephesians 2.10, For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ's image, to do great works which he has prepared in advance for you to do. I am a new creation. I read these scriptures and sometimes I say, Really, Lord? Really? I'm a workmanship? 
I'm never departing from believing you as my Savior. I'm never departing from responding to your conviction and from repentance. But really, I'm a workmanship? Come on. I see my life. You see my life. How can this be a work of art? Getting answered him, but sir, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us? Did the Lord not bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hands of Midian. You see, church, the very first step to realizing that the glory of the Lord upon you is to accept responsibility. You see, back in the very top of chapter 6, it says just this. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Midianites oppressed them. Angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. You're going to deliver your people. What's Gideon do? Oh, really? Well, the Midianites this, the Amalekites that. Oh, really? I snapped at my wife. Well, do you have any idea what she was doing to me earlier in the day? Oh, oh, really? Well, it's uh, blame this, shift blame that. Put it on somebody else. Someone else take responsibility. Oh, yeah, Lord, well, I'm really your workmanship? Well, well, then why do I have so many struggles and shortcomings coming upon me? Why are those Internet pop-ups coming up to distract my eyes? Why, 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 why? You know what the angel of the Lord does? Ignores it all. Why? Because it's the angel of the Lord, and you have glory, and so did Gideon. He's not concerned with your pleas. He's not concerned with your whys. Let's just say, for an instance, that every single thing that has ever happened to you at this point to cause sin or stomach buck in your life was the responsibility of someone else. Listen, every heart knows its own pain, and I'm not going to say that we just need to get over it. Some severe, in a congregation this size, I am positive that some very hurtful things have been done to an awful lot of you by other people. Parents are not always great. Loved ones are sometimes very hurtful. Children, no matter how much you love them and try to raise them the way of the Lord, sometimes depart. Let's just say everything to this point in time, right now, June 31st, was someone else's fault. Now what are you going to do about it from this point on? You are a mighty warrior. The glory of the Lord lives upon you. Then the Lord turned to him, not acknowledging any of his cries or pleas or petitions. Because why? He's the Lord. Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. Hey, Gideon, your pleas, your cries, your petitions, your blame of the Midianites. Mm -mm. You go in this might of yours. (laughs) The angel of the Lord just showed up and Gideon said, you have might. What might? I'm hiding out. I'm threshing wheat. I'm scared for my life. The Amalekites are coming in. They're raping and pillaging my sisters. They're taking everything that we have. We have nothing. We have no sustenance. And you're seeing I have might. Yes. You are my people. You are a royal nation. Your heart is the throne of God. That is where he sits. To the nation of Israel, to the worship song we sing, to this moment right now, your heart is where God sits, not with your sins. You do not hold God up. Our lives do not hold God up. Oh, God, I'm so sorry I let you down again. Really? No. He holds us up. We do nothing. Gideon is starting to see a glimmer here. He responded in verse 15 again, But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manish, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. The second step into inviting the glory of the Lord into our hearts. No, forgive me for even saying that because that's the vernacular that I taught myself for years and years and years. No, the second step to realizing that the glory of the Lord does already dwell in my heart is to put down the lies. Gideon right here picks up lies and deceit. 
maybe taught to him by his forefathers or maybe maybe just on his own own doing, but he was adopting lies. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Oh, uh, verse 15. Gideon responded, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manashish, and I am the least in my family. We see later, and you don't have to turn with me, but we go over a couple of verses, and we see when Gideon finally does kind of man up and does kind of begin to adopt the sonship that he really has. There's this verse. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did what the Lord told him to do. You know, the Bible is real. It's truthful. It's sharper than any living sword. It is inspired. But we have to read it through the context. Just because Gideon said he's the weakest in the clan does not mean he truly was. It means that he thought he was. Later on, Gideon takes ten of his servants. He doesn't take his ten servants. He doesn't grab ten of his servant fellow buddies. He takes eh, ten of his servants to go out to do some destruction. I am positive there were weaker people in the kingdom of Israel. I am certain that this man who could choose ten of his servants wasn't hurting for much. But yet, this is the truth, church, and this is something you should actually write down, that you don't have to be skillless to feel inept. You don't have to be poor to live with poverty. You have to believe the lies of others and the evil one, and that's all that's necessary to hold you captive. Gideon says, but, oh, Lord, I don't have what it takes. You do. He did. Lies, deceit, and deception held him down. I can be very poor if I think I am, regardless of my situation in life. I can be very weak. I can fall with that same internet sin 7,200 times. And because I could tell myself well, that's truly weakness, then, well, clearly it has to be. Never minding the fact that I held out and I restrained and I showed passion. I showed purity so many other times. For 23.75 hours of the day, I showed restraint. Because I fell once, I think I'm weak. God has given me glory. Because you can raise your children, you can bear with them, you can pray with them, you can intercede for them, and you can petition for them, you can raise them in the ways of the Lord, but because one time you snapped at them, well, you're a horrible parent, you don't deserve to be uh, speaking truth into their lives. No. Because you have a failed marriage, and church, Christians have failed marriages too. Because you have a failed marriage, for whatever reason it was, you think, oh, I'm inept and never can have a successful, prosperous marriage again. No. Because you were a sinner, Christ came. Because you sinned, Christ arose. Do not diminish his glory by your past failures. More importantly, do not diminish his glory by the lies that you tell him yourself. The Lord said, back to 15. But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manish, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord says this, even if that were true, even if from June 31st, 2012 to the past, everything was everybody else's fault. You were downtrodden, you were beat, you were destroyed, you were a failure, you were a quitter, you were a whiner, you were weak, you were whatever. Even if that is true, I have given you might, says the Lord. I have given you power. I have given you strength. Now go walk in it. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. Okay, Lord. Okay. And this is the key, and this is the kicker, and this is the clutch, and this is point three. This is what Gideon says. All right, Lord, well, if that is true, can you just hang out with me for a little while? Can you just stay here with me? Because I'm not so sure I can do it on my own. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. Then Gideon says, if now I have found favor with you, Lord, then show me a sign that is that you who speak with me. Do not depart from here, 
until I come to you and bring you my presence and set it before you. Okay, Lord, do not depart. I'm going to believe that I'm a mighty warrior, but do not depart from me. Church, we're departers by nature. It's it's this game. This is this this game is rigged. You ever been to the carnival, the Piala Fair? You know they don't play those games and give away those big bunnies because you're gonna win the game. It's a rigged deck. So if this is your first time here, if you've been following Christ for 40 years, or if you're just now curious about it, I tell you this: this carnival game is one that cannot be beat. We will depart. It's in our nature. You may say, well, you, maybe you preacher, but not me. I tell you, well, you're wrong. You will. Maybe not in these big overt sins, but our hearts will, by the very inclination of our flesh. Adamic rebellion is in you regardless of your new creation. Those are two separate issues, and really that's a different sermon. But we will. We can. We do depart. The key is saying, just Lord, sit with me for a little while. Before he went out to conquer anything, before he put up an internet pop-up blocker, before he went and repented to his wife, before he went out and just uh, started tithing and giving generously, before he went out and uh, asked for forgiveness from anyone else that he hurt, he said, okay, Lord, just, just sit with me for a little while. All too often and all too frequently, when I come back to the place of returning to God or recognizing I, I can begin to see the glimmer of light that I am a workmanship again, that I do have a presence and I do have a, God does have a plan for me, the first thing I do is go do something about it. We're actors, we're doers, we want to be part of something, we want to be something credible. We want our ministries and our lives and our families to be credible. We want, our, uh, we want to build up a, a sobriety date behind us. Sorry, I come from a program of recovery. I've been clean and sober seven years, so a lot of the vernacular I use and all the words I say is all about sobriety and clean dates. We clap when I say my sobriety day. I've been sober seven years. But it's just that. We want to build up these accolades. We want to show how spiritual we've been. Why? By the, not the glory of the Lord, but by the performance and the essence and that perfume that we're supposed to breathe. Oh, I haven't snapped at my boss in 42 days. Well, clearly he's going to love me. I haven't sworn or cursed or done anything inappropriate. And we just begin to live right back into these habits of actions are what speak the glory of the Lord. God, just sit with me for a little while. Sit with me in prayer. Help me understand where I'm going wrong. Confide in me as I confide in you. And you know what Gideon did? He laid out a fleece, and all too often, Gideon gets bashed for laying out a fleece, because truly, if the angel of the Lord appeared to you and you could commune with him, you would think, well, surely I would go out, and I would just be the mighty valiant warrior from from day one. When I'm sitting in the threshing wheat, and the angel of the Lord appeared behind me and said I was a valiant warrior, I would have said, yes, I am, Lord, and I would have gone out and... No, you wouldn't. That's not in our nature, because we don't. Because we have something Gideon doesn't. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have conviction that speaks and ministers to us all the time. We have the angel of the Lord. We have Jiminy Cricket on our shoulder 24-7, but yet we find ourselves in the predicaments. We're staring in the mirror. We're looking out. We see the wrinkles and the scars and the hurts, and we refuse to see the beautiful starlet that Jesus had created us to be. We're more like Gideon. We're more like the, our Jewish ancestors than you could ever give credit for. It's getting hot in here. It's got some water. What is wrong with the fleece? Okay, Lord, if you really are God and I really am a glorious warrior, I'm just going to do something really small and insignificant that no one else even notices. Before I go out and do anything mighty, before I go down and pull down the Asherah pole, before I go down and knock down the statue of Baal, I'm going to do something really small and insignificant just between me and you. And as I begin to see the fruit of that, I'll begin to step out more and more and more. Church, all too frequently, we just rush out to the next big thing. 
We rush out. We want to get back to a place of ministry. We want to get back to a place of prominence. We want to get back to a place of instant restoration with our family. We want to get back to a place of feeling like everything is okay again. You see, when Gideon was taking all this time, laying out a fleece before the Lord time and time again, the Midianites were still oppressing them. The Amalekites were still raping and pillaging their land. Israel was still in turmoil, and there was a big famine going on. But Gideon got one thing right. Lord, I'm going to make sure that it's you and your glory that's leading me on and nothing that I can do in my own flesh. Church, we need to sit. It's a fire drill. Stop, drop, and roll a whole lot more. So Gideon went out in his house. He prepared unleavened bread. He did all this mighty stuff. He came and his, his servants, they came and they tore down Baal and the Asherah pole. They came and if you don't know the story, it's a great read. It's kind of a fun one. Um, well, it's kind of a fun one if you're a dude and you like Braveheart movies because that's pretty much what happens. Yeah. Gideon lives his life. His rights are celebrated at the end. Gideon kind of messes up and he goes downhill from there. But that genuinely is not the point. We can go back to the New Testament now, and we're almost done. Back to Jesus and back to verse 20. How you doing, church? I'm not hearing any amens or any affirmations. It's a lot of sober looks. So you guys are either throwing me daggers and can't wait to write Pastor Chad that nasty email with all... And by the way, church, when you use all caps, it's flaming, it's yelling, it's screaming. So be generous. Be generous when you write your letter to... Pa- you can write it on the communication. <laughs> you can write it on the... Wait, let's just see how many lines there are. Yeah, you can't say too many hurtful things about me in that amount of lines. So yeah, go ahead. Just fill out that communication card. And if you're new, we have a gift to send you. I didn't get my gift last time. It better be a pony, is all I got to say. All right. Amen. Thank you. All right, verse 20. I ask not only on behalf of Jesus. Remember, Jesus praying. This is the prayer. This This is like his blessing and benediction upon his peeps. I ask not on behalf of these 12, but on behalf of all those who believe in me through their word. And that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me, as I, Father, am in you, so they will all be with us. The glory that you have given me, Lord, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are in one. As I in them, as you in me, so that the world may know that they have sent me. Church, I don't have a five steps. To health. I don't have a five steps to glory because if that was the case, because we're pragmatists by nature, Americans are so pragmatists, we want to be told what to do and how to do it so that we can do it well and execute it excellently. Well, you can't do anything. I'm sorry, forgive me. But it's like a bad fart. You just can't cover it up. No matter how... Can I say that? Okay. Comment cards. There is nothing, no matter how pretty you look, no matter what steps you take, no matter how you part your hair or comb your, or iron your shirt, there is nothing you can do to cover up the instance of your life. You can try to spray a spritz on you to, to mask it, but all that's going to do is convolute the smell, and those closest to you are going to be turned off by your hypocrisy. Because you put on roses to everyone else, but inside you're just a stench, and you're dying. And the glory of the Lord is being masked by our pitiful attempts at holiness. So there's not five steps to holiness. There's two. No, there's not two. 
Align your thinking with that of the heart of God. How do you do that? Simple. You align your thinking with the heart of God. How do you do that? Really easy. You align your thinking with the heart of God, but it takes so much work. You see, when we come together, we do this thing called corporate worship. We gather together and we sit here, and it's not to hear pretty songs being sung to us. We sing praises. And they're not just words that rhyme and are snappy, although sometimes they are. They're truths. They're evidence. We sing a song today about our heart being a royal throne to God. If that's not something to be believed, what is? You know, all too often, uh, I was raised in the church. I left. I got a cool testimony. It's really neat. And when people hear it, other Christians come to me, man, I wish I had a testimony like that. And I say, you believe in Jesus. If that's not a miracle and a pretty amazing testimony itself, what are you smoking? Like, the very fact that we were headed one way and a cosmic power intervened and made us go the other is pretty stinking spectacular. When we catch ourselves with these little issues, like, oh, like these little petty sins, and genuinely any sin, James 2.10, any man keeps all the entirety of the law, but stumbles at just the smallest little point, is guilty of breaking all of it. They're all petty, they're all enormous. There is no... You think, you think God Almighty really cares from one to the next? When we commit these little petty sins or these little things, these little hiccups, we think we put up such a barrier and a roadblock between us and God. The truth of the matter is it's not there at all. That's all the more reason why we stop, drop, and roll and sing praises of glory and honor and recognize that our hearts are an incense and that it is beautiful. You line your thinking with God's thinking. It's very easy, but it's so hard to do. You commit with other brothers and sisters. First of all, you find someone who's been following Jesus a little bit longer and a little bit better than you have, and you tell them about what you're doing. You get godly accountability. You don't have accountability to be your cousin's nephew in Mississippi because he doesn't really check in on you. You go to the wisest, oldest, darkest man. Darkest man. I just saw your shirt. that's dark, and I just assumed you look like a wise old man. I'm sorry. You go to someone wiser, more mature, and more wise than you, and you tell them what you have done. You stop trying to read the Word, and you let the Word read you. You soap. You get in community with others. And you, allow, you begin to live authentic, honest, real lives. Man, that's hard. And man, that's scary. But so is your life if you don't. Secondly, you let go of the exterior. For we're being renewed and transformed by the thinking of our mind, not by our actions. It's somewhere in Romans. Your mind, your mind, your mind. Your perspective, your perspective, your perspective. Remember when I said that you don't have to be poor to live in poverty? Remember when I said you don't have to be inept and unskillful to not be able to get a job anywhere? Your mind, your mind, your mind. Your heart, your heart, your heart. You stop believing what you've been telling yourself, and you honestly, sincerely begin to listen to my voice. Not just Andy Taylor, but the role of your pastor. The role of Christian leaders. We are not here to entertain. We're here to tell you what you have forgotten about yourself. I have a pastor who tells me what I forget about myself. Just before service, I was talking with Mary and how I just started to meet regularly with this other pastor. And it's so sweet because I have a rough population that we deal with, and I just like to hear good things about myself. Sometimes I'll just come to him and be like, oh, we're not really effective in ministry. We're dealing with this and doing with that. And he just says, remember who you are. Remember the calling, the anointing upon your life. And because I respect him, because I trust him, I say, you're right. Church is so much more holy than a reason to wear your new clothes on Sunday. Church is so much more holy than a purpose just to show up and meet people. 
Although when I was single, I definitely showed up to meet people. Know what I'm saying? No. <clears throat> Church is where we do business. And if you don't come with the mindset that we're here to do actual business, you know, we are all not here for that one newcomer. We're all not here for your spouse. We're all not here for your son that didn't show up. We're here for you. You. Me. I'm done, church. I got nothing to say and no point in ending. God is good. You are good. Father God, as we begin to navigate and maneuver what this looks like for each and every one of us, Father, I, I, I leave here with more questions. I leave here with, I, 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 see the, I see people's faces and just the desire to be holy and to feel that holiness, but Lord, we don't know it. We don't see it. I hear these words and I hear what Andy is saying and I believe, yes, Lord, that I have glory. I believe, Lord, that yes, I'm a mighty warrior, but I don't feel like it. And church, this is the Lord saying to you, you do not have to believe something for it to be true. Church, you do not have to believe something for it to be true. You are a mighty warrior. You are not defined by your sins. You're not defined by your father. You're not defined by the failure that you had in the car on the drive here tonight, today with your wife. You are defined by the creator and the created. If we can believe in the cosmic power that spoke you into existence, if you can believe in the holy of holies, the righteous authority of God most high, then you have to believe his words. You have glory. You have glory, and that is what will save the world. Your acknowledgement of glory. Because you know what happens when you have glory? You know, what ha- you know, like C.S. Lewis, I'm a big fan of Narnia, and Lucy and the other guys, they're all just a bunch of young kids, but when they became kings of Narnia, they held their heads high, they rode stallions, they talked in a high-pitched voice, and they did some really cool things. And genuinely, that is what we are. We're princes and princesses of the King Most High called into a royal nation we are a holy priesthood you do not need to tuck in your shirt to be royal and regal and holy you just have to know you are Abba I know that you have given me glory and by that glory I will repent quick I will love hard and I will praise strong Amen